Good evening, and welcome to Bible Talk with Jane and Shannon. I'm Jane. And I'm Shannon. And tonight, we are going to study 1 Peter 3, and the title that Jane has picked out is Our Daily Job. I think that is the theme. Now, I want to do something interesting. There are... Well, it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting theme to say that. It's just how we should live our lives, our daily behavior, yeah. Well... There are 22 verses, and I, from my point of view, verse 9, if we read that first, the rest of the chapter, or the rest of the first part, will not be controversial. Yeah, this, let's, let's Do you want to step read in that just a second. Okay. Um, this chapter, uh, some people, um, especially in today's society, would take this and make it accusatory and say that there's all sorts of things involved in this chapter from Peter that are um, not socially correct right now or not uh, not uh, politically correct. And I don't think that's true in any way, shape, or form. I don't think Jane does either. But So we're going to tackle a little bit, bit of this today. Um, yeah, let's go ahead. Read verse 9. Okay. <clears throat> that goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp tongue, sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. We're supposed to just bless, be a blessing everywhere. Bless with our words. Bless anyone we interact with. Be right. a blessing. Yeah. So I think if you think of that, and then we go into... Versus the first part. Well, before we go into the first part, I want to back up just a little bit. Okay. Because he starts three with, in the same way. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, just read the first the first verse of three. Well, do you want to, I have the message. Do you want me to do it in the message? Or do you want to do the submissive word? Well, let me, let me do, let me read it out of, of um, uh, the NIV here. Okay. Just a second here. This is chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without the words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of, the, of your lives. Okay, so it says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Mm-hmm. Now, that that's one of these politically incorrect things that, you know, women have to be submissive. That's not what it's saying at all. And one of the reasons we can... We know that is because of where he ended too. We read these things in chapters, and we're covering them as a chapter here tonight. But in reality, this is an this is a an inclusive letter that goes front to back. You read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So if you started from three, it might throw you off. So I want to end up, uh, end up where uh, I want to finish two. Okay. Okay. Uh, starting in 22 and 2, it says, He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted him, himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Mm. 
So it's talking about Jesus and how Jesus submitted to the Father in all, everything He did. It, you know, He entrusted Himself to the Judge who judges justly. He to to God, and He didn't care about all the rest of the junk because this is what this is the will of my Father, sort of thing. Okay, so so that was He was living He was living His life here on Earth and being attacked by people, and it wasn't important. That relationship wasn't as important as the relationship with the Father. Right. And then we start into three in the same way. Wives in the same way. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to read one through seven. Yeah, go ahead. Read one through seven. From the message. Well, read like one the... through six first. Well, okay. The same goes for you wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. Very I good. think that shows the power of wives. We have a lot of persuasion just by living godly lives with our husbands, with our families, and how uh, we need to have that peace of God within us, and that's where beauty, real beauty, comes from within. Yeah, and I mean, he he says, you know, don't base your beauty on what's on the outside. And he later on says, um, things that don't fade. Mm-hmm. So you know, he and we have to remember, Peter was married. That's right. He Paul was, was not right. Peter was married. He had a wife that he loved dearly, mm-hmm. and he's speaking um, to Christians as a whole here, saying, you know, there there should be an order in this. Mm-hmm. And wives, you can be such a blessing if if you are uh, the if you focus on the inner beauty. Mm-hmm. You can be such a blessing, and even if you have a husband who is not a believer, you can win him over without saying a word. Yeah, by just the way you behave and the way you act. I do. And he has been telling us this repetitively right. in First Peter here. Yeah, that we are meant to our our behavior should be beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. And it should be, um, and he says that about everything. And now he's talking about the nuclear mm-hmm. husband the and wife. And, and if we go back when I read verse 9, that we're supposed, our job is to bless. Mm-hmm. So that goes for your spouse too. Just make it your point today to bless your spouse. And I, I've said this probably in so many podcasts whenever we get to wives and husbands, but... I really think it comes down to the husband wants to be respected and feel like a man, and the woman wants to be cherished and loved and feel like a woman. And a husband and wife are in the unique role of being able to fulfill that in that other person mm. more than anybody. Right. And so it's not so much that the husband's want from God's perspective that the husbands are going to lord over the no. the wives. No, they're supposed to. They're supposed to love them as Christ loves the church. That's in Ephesians. And if anyone, in my opinion, if any man use this as a way to be 
trying to make his wife subservient or to uh, um, make himself dominant. That's mm-hmm. not what Peter's saying. No, not, not at all. Not in the least. That, and that's not being a good spouse in any, any no. way. And in verse 7, he continues on. Um, con- read verse 7 okay. as well. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals, so your prayers don't run aground. There he goes. Treat them as equals. Cause yeah. We are. We have equal value. Right, and especially to God, because he said in the NIV, he says, um, "Treat them with respect as heirs with you, mm-hmm. heirs with you to the of the gracious gift of life." And then he puts a caveat on the husbands. Now the the, yeah, the wives get a huge chunk, right? And the husbands get one verse. Yeah. But that verse comes with a caveat, which I think is um, it's important because. There's nothing in the women that says the same thing. No. The women, this this is what you should do because it will it will bless your husband, it will bless your family, you will be a, a woman after Sarah's heart. You will be, you know, uh, right. You this these are things that women should consider important. With the men, in the end, it says so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Yeah. Why do you think he mentions that to the husbands? Because I think. I think it would be easy to take it in that dominant way. Yeah. And say, I'm more important. I'm the one that especially, wears the pants in this family. I'm the, And in this day and especially age. Especially back then, because right. women in society were considered property. And this is a totally new thing, probably, for everything. Everything is new, and um, in such, everything is new here, and people are looking for... How should we do things? Right. Again, uh, we've mentioned this before. This is New Testament church. They're just getting started. And there's the laws that they followed, the Mosaic laws, if they were Jewish, are not applicable to them anymore because they're following the law of Christ. So some things, you know, Christ completed that law so they don't have to follow all the little tiny rules anymore that were all man-made anyway. But... um, and some people came from other backgrounds, and they're all from different perspectives. And he's trying to say, these are the things that you need to put your focus on. These are the things that are important. And when it comes to a marriage, you have to do two things. The wives, live a good life, respect your husband. Husbands, in the same way, respect your wives. I think this is very important. And and the fact that with the husbands, he says so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Um, I think that's an important thing for men to understand that um, God expects us to be leaders Mm -hmm. in the same way that Jesus was a leader, in the same Mm -hmm. way that in the examples that we have been given, um, to lead the way he led. And he led with compassion and with love and with mercy and with peace. Mm -hmm. And I think as husbands, if we do not do that, because... Mm -hmm. Even in this day and age, um, I have certain advantages over Jane. Physical. I'm much stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a chance to probably go out and make more money than you. There's there's things that still exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right or wrong, those things still exist. And I am not meant to use any of that. I should treat you as an equal. 
And if I do take advantage of the things that I have no control over, you know, the fact that I happen to be male was not something I chose. Right. It's something God chose for me. But if I take that and I use that in a negative way, mm-hmm. that will not please God. True. And that would hinder my relationship with God. My relationship with my wife has to be correct, and I have to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing to have a good relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what that is. And and I think as a man, as a husband, as a father, I see these things as being incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And the fact that my wife needs to know that she is extremely important in my life and that we are equals in the eyes of God. She needs to know those things. And if a husband is not doing that, then he's not going to have a good relationship with God either. Sure. Because in the same token, I am called to a leadership position. That's basically what this is saying. But I'm also under God. Mm-hmm. And if God is treating me with mercy, why would I not treat others with mercy. If, mm-hmm. God is, if God is leading me with compassion, why should I not be also leading with compassion? I will say too, if someone's hearing this and maybe they're not married or mm-hmm. maybe this all sounds old-fashioned, you are the leader in our home. But it usually doesn't it's not like you lead me by the nose and tell me what to do. I don't I, do anything without asking first. No, but I mean, you just let me be me. Right. And then you are you, and you give me the freedom to be me, and more than I think anyone else would. But when it comes down, to, every once in a while, a decision has to be made, and someone has to have the last word. So that's when that comes about. Or Shannon looks out for me. I look out for him. He knows me better than... I know myself sometimes, and and I it, it's just like you know anyone who's listening to this. If you've worked somewhere, and when you've had a really good boss, that boss just works right alongside you. But the buck stops there with that boss if a decision has to be made. And I guess that's kind of how it is in a in in our marriage. You know, yeah. we work alongside and each other. I think other, that's live, what, yeah. What Peter's saying here, God says the buck stops with you. Yeah, so the husband's responsible. In the same way. And I think that's the way we should look at it. You're responsible. Right. So you take it upon yourself. So, of course, you're going to make the very best decision for the family because you have to answer to God to that for that. Well, it's interesting because he starts, let's just go to paragraphs. At the beginning of chapter 3... Mm-hmm. We already said he's referring back to Jesus. Right. And the way Jesus submitted to the Father's will. Wives in the same way. And then on seven he starts husbands mm-hmm. in the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. There is no difference here. There is no, there's equality just in those two statements right there. Yeah. This is the same thing. Both of us are called to do the same thing. Okay, I want to read the next part. Mm-hmm. Eight through twelve. Good. And this is I have a really good question to ask, okay? So summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. 
Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil and cultivate good. Run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked, but he turns his back on those who do evil things. Here's the question. How would seeing it as your job to bless change the way you live on a day-to-day basis? Interesting concept. If we remember every interaction, we're there to bless that person. I mean, that would change... Because sometimes I just don't think about it. I just well, have my agenda for the day and I'm doing my thing. I just things. want to read 8 and 9 on yeah. the NIV here, Yeah, too. go ahead. Yeah. Finally, all of you. Uh, he just said wives and husbands. Right. So and then all of you. Talking about it to everybody, yep. Yep. Yeah. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Mm-hmm. That's the way Jesus handled it. Mm-hmm. When they cursed him and they spit on him and they did all those things, he never retaliated. Mm-hmm. He had more right to retaliate than anyone else because he was sinless. He had more ability to retaliate than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And yet, he chose to bless to the very end. I mean, hanging on the cross with a thief on one side mocking him and a thief on the other side saying, don't mock him. Jesus was merciful to the thief sitting next to him. I just... Yeah, I mean, he shows us how to do it. Plus, okay, so if, if we think about our job, whenever we interact with anyone, could be our spouse, our children, siblings, parents, mm-hmm. whoever, uh, strangers, we are to bless... I would say the opposite of doing that would be being defensive all the time. Or offensive. I want to read this thing. Or be aggressive. Yeah, the danger of living on the defensive. Okay, go ahead. Can I read it? Yeah, go ahead. The danger of living on the defensive is that we become belligerent. If we think of ourselves as constantly threatened by others, we can very easily come to think of people as our enemies and feel anger toward them. The church has always had such angry people writing their tracts and preaching their sermons against an unfriendly world. Peter went through this too. On the night of Jesus' arrest, when the soldiers came to march him away, Peter, overwhelmed by the odds against him and angry at the injustice of it all, grabbed a sword and cut off a man's ear. But Jesus held Peter's belligerence at bay, and the damage was repaired by a merciful healing. And so Peter, having learned his lesson, wrote, Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. No cutting off of ears, no swinging of swords, no anger. Instead, when you do give a defense, do it with the utmost courtesy. I like that. I like that too. I think there's a a concept here that's overwhelmingly uh, completed in... First Peter is he is talking about living with compassion mm-hmm. and with joy and understanding that those people around you are not going to live that way. Those people around you that are not Christian are not going to be acting this way, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You act the way God wants you to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bless the way you were supposed to be blessing. So I'm going to continue yeah. on here. I'm going to pick it up. 13 through from, 18. Um. I think yeah, I'll go 13 yeah. through 18. Okay. 
And again, I'm reading from the New International Version. Um, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I love this concept. Peter says, you know, if you're doing things right, if you're living the way Jesus intended us to live, if Mm -hmm. we're following his commandments the way he told us to, if we're doing those things right, he said, who's going to, what can they hold against you? Mm -hmm. If we live the way that Peter's saying here, he says, if you do that, what could they say you're doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And And then, then he said, even if you do, Right. That's a blessing then. Yeah. Because you're doing it for God. Right. And that that is the that's the crux of this whole thing. You know, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to answer anyone who asks why you have hope. And that is a blessing to answer that to them. Yes, and that's one of those things where, you know, if we're living the way we're supposed to live, people will notice and when they notice mm-hmm. they're going to say, "What's the big deal with you? Why are you happy?" Mm-hmm. It sucks. Life is terrible. This is this, this is this, but you're smiling even though you got it so much worse than I do. Why are you still smiling? Well, because I have a hope in Christ. Mm-hmm. I have a hope for a future. I have plans. I have God watching me and I know God wants me to prosper and and do well and I know God loves me. And if I know those things, the stuff of the world should be small potatoes. Mm-hmm. And if you truly live this way, someone will say, I don't know how you do it. Mm-hmm. That's usually the way I hear it. Mm. If someone says it, they say, I don't know how you do it. Mm. Well, just God, God leads and I follow. Mm-hmm. I don't do it. God does it. I just follow. Mm-hmm. That is good. Why don't you read the, the rest of the chapter here? This is a an interesting part, and it's a little weird, but... Mm. And I, I just wonder how he knew this. I guess Jesus told him. I mean, how did he know this happened? But Okay, so I'm going to back up and I'm going to start with 18 again. Okay. And connect it. So. Okay. For Christ also suffered once for, the, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I want to read 22 in the message. I like how he says it. Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone from angels to armies. He's standing right alongside God and what he says goes. And I think it is interesting that Jesus went down to hell and preached to the ones who were down there. Mm. And he came back up. And I mean, I don't know why he did it. Uh, He's perfect, so... I'm not Must sure. Must have been I, necessary. I'm not sure I understand exactly why he did it either. But he talks made to the, those who were disobedient long ago, 
when God could have destroyed the entire world. Right. He gave him like over he saw nothing. Years. He saw yeah. nothing, and then finally went. All right, I'm just going to start over with Noah, which is basically what he did. He started over. The flood yeah. took out everyone on the earth except for these eight people, and it started all over again. He restarted everything. He didn't need to. No. He could have just said, you know, this was a bad experiment. I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. But in that restarting everything over, he he again foreshadows the coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the fulfillment of the promise of Noah mm-hmm. was Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, when he was resurrected and he conquered death, then had then went and explained that to those that never got it. Mm. And you know, and then he ascends to heaven, and he is in the end. He's the one who has the authority. He's the one that's going to be doing the judging. Mm-hmm. He's the one that's going to say yea or nay. Yeah, these are these are my people. These are not my people. It's, and again, that that in and of itself, it gets down to how we treat people, right? And how I mean, how we love God and and worship Him. But then the second commandment, love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. But we are to treat people with kindness. And, you know, every single person, whether they know Jesus or not, has been created by God. And he, and they, they all deserve to be treated with dignity and respect just because they're God's creations. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, God loves them. So, you know, God loves them. We ought to be loving them because... We're supposed to be about God's business. Right. And I, I think when we look at all of what we've read so far in Peter, this is his summing it up. I mean, this is, this is, there's, there's more to first Peter. Obviously there's two more chapters. Are there two more or just one more? Four and five. We're just oh, doing you're three. Right. You're right. Okay. Um, so as we, as we come here, you know, he does say words like, and finally, mm-hmm. but he's not done saying he's right. not done writing here yet. Yeah. But so again, four and five. If we take this all into context again, go back to him saying from the very beginning, he's writing to the exiles. Oh, that's right. He's writing to the diaspora. Yeah. He's writing to all Christians who are starting in this in this crazy walk of Christ. Mm-hmm. And in the world's eyes, it is crazy. In the world's eyes, you are doing something radical, something new, something revolutionary, something strange, something that doesn't fit the world's ideals. You're going to be doing something really wild here. And what you're going to do is you're going to be kind and loving and a blessing to everyone. Mm -hmm. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to be merciful. You are going to be what Christ was. That is who you're going to be. No matter where you are, because you're in exile, you're in all over the place, you're mm-hmm. in the diaspora, you are spread out all over the world. I love the word Does diaspora. It matter. You are not of this world, so don't act like it. Mm-hmm. Act like the children of God that you are. You know, it's so simple, but so it's, you have to be totally aware and deliberate in how you act. You can't react we need to respond. That's so a natural, to, the natural human reaction is not what he's asking for. No, and so we need to almost be alert mm-hmm. in the way we live all the time. Well, we have to live a life of intention. Yes, that's good. Not a life that, yeah. of 
not live a life of reaction, but a life of intention. Yeah, that is perfect. And Every day we need to wake up and say, I am going to be a blessing today. And I am not going to let anybody knock that out of me. Yeah. And then we live that life. We, You cannot, you know... When people say, well, that he's just basically a very nice person, that's not the same. No. It's not the same. And you can't be nice enough to get to heaven. No. It won't happen. And because what okay. is your motivation for your actions? And the motivations that we have is that we are to love the way Christ loved. And like Jane said earlier, God loves every person. Yeah, and, we're and we to, should treat them like they're they're loved by God. I will, even say, if they don't acknowledge it right. themselves. And I will say too, just because okay, we can always, always, always be kind, but that doesn't mean we're a doormat. No, don't ever think this means we're supposed to be wimpy people. We are. We are called to be the most courageous, most confident people in the whole world because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that's where I think. Everything, all the way going back to the beginning of this chapter when, you know, the submission verse comes up and things like that. None of that. God never says that we are to be... Wimpy. Wimpy or that we are, that we are meant to be um, weak. We're meant to be strong in our faith. We are meant to be powerful in our faith. Mm-hmm. And we are meant to speak about that. Mm-hmm. And... If you've ever been that person, um, very few of us are gifted with that boldness. It's natural in someone to be bold about everything they do. Mm. Um, And bold in a positive way and not a self-centered way Mm -hmm. is very rare. Mm -hmm. But that's what God's calling us to do. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Not because of what we're capable of, but because of what He's capable of. And not because we have something that nobody else has, but just because God loves us enough and we recognize that. I will say, you could probably take this entire letter and all the other letters in the whole New Testament, and you could say they all are putting meat on the two commandments that Jesus said to live by. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, you know, love God and love people. And that's what all these letters are saying. They're teaching us how to do that practically. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question for you. Without doing it in the ways that the Pharisees did, by right. adding extra right. rules to it and saying, this is what you have to do, and this is what you have to do yeah, here. Yeah, no, they don't give us rules. They give Instead, us... they're, they're helping to explain it. Like, yeah. if I am teaching um, in school, and I bring forth a concept, and I can tell... That not all the light bulbs in the room came up. I'm going to restate it. I'm going to re. I'm going to say it another way. way. I'm going to yeah. use allegory. I'm going to use illusion. I'm going to use different things, comparative speech, things like that, to try and get those other light bulbs to turn on. Uh, Paul does this does this repetitively in his letters because he's talking to churches that should know better, and he says, "You got problems. This is what your problem is. This is how you should be fixing these things." Um, because they didn't get it the first time. Right. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Because I know we're probably going to wrap up here soon. Sure. Because it is 31 minutes. So, just be bold and honest. Would you say I'm a submissive wife? 
And there's nothing submissive about you. What? There's never been anything submissive about you, but you do allow me to lead. You, there is nothing that the world would not say you, you are submissive. Well, but but we just... work in perfect harmony as a team. And in that, it's like dancing. Somebody has to lead. Uh-huh. But you have to go together. Okay. And I think that's how we do it. I don't think it's because... I don't think... I, I would never call you submissive. Yeah, but You're my partner. They, didn't they just say that I'm supposed to be submissive? No, but... It, not that, that you're supposed to be submissive. That's the word that is used in most of the translations. But I think what it really means is we just have to understand that the buck stops with me. So, you you know, we have to have that relationship. Not that you need to be submissive because you're not submissive. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, there you hear it from the horse's mouth. I, yeah, thank you. The horse is something. Um <laughs> Well, I guess we should go. I have told Jane this, and I, I, you know, there's so many different ways that men can speak romantically about their wives and, and different things they compare them to and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, the real common one is like a rose or something like that. Um, my wife is my dandelion. She is wild and free and untamable, and you can do whatever you want. They come back over and over again, and they spread their joy everywhere. So. Yeah, and I'm spreading these days. <laughs> Middle age. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll see you later. God bless. Okay, bye.